We come now, brethren, to the reading and the preaching of God's Word. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and I'll be reading and then preaching on verses 7 through 15. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15, as we continue in our study through the book of Hebrews. You're beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3. The writer to the Hebrews writes, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace, for your kind providence in bringing us here today. And we ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and guide, that he would reveal to us the truth and the application of this passage of Scripture in such a way that our thinking is renewed, our lives, our conduct is transformed, and we live and breathe and do all things for the glory of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, as we have considered on more than one occasion in this epistle, it is a serious thing to reject the word of God. For what has been delivered to us through the testimony of the Old Testament prophets and through the testimony of one greater than the prophets, Jesus Christ, our great mediator, is of utmost importance to the well-being of our own souls. For to fail to heed the truth of God as it is proclaimed in Scripture and as it is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ is to neglect our own salvation. For what God has declared, he has declared for our spiritual good. And when we refuse to hear it, when we refuse to receive it with simple faith and obedience, we not only run the risk of drifting, which we've considered before, but we also run the risk of incurring God's chastisement or discipline as well. In fact, this is the theme that is addressed here in our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. For having presented to us our duty to consider Jesus and his faithfulness as a means of encouragement to us, the writer of this epistle now warns us about the dangers of not doing so, the dangers of not doing so. So if we fail to consider Jesus and we allow ourselves to drift into a state of 
hard-heartedness and unbelief, we will find ourselves in great danger. Just as those who refused to hear and obey God back in the days of Moses. In fact, you'll recall that the Jews had great admiration for Moses. And they believed that Israel's best days had been under Moses' leadership. In fact, in a very real sense, the Jews longed for the past. They longed for the good old days when Moses was the leader and when all seemed to be going well. And yet here the writer of this epistle refers back to certain events in the history of Israel under the leadership of Moses when the nation did not hear, when the nation did not heed God's word and God disciplined the people, his very own people, the people that he loved. He disciplined his people for their unbelief and their hard-heartedness against him. And these events transpired during those 40 years following the exodus from Egypt when the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness for during those years which should have been marked by obedience. I mean, think about it. After everything that they saw, they should have been walking in continual joy and obedience, right? Those years should have been marked by obedience in view of all that Israel had witnessed and experienced, yet God's people were characterized instead by drifting and by spiritual inconsistency. And their acts of drifting and inconsistency were described back in the Old Testament in Psalm 95 in verses 7 through 11. And now those descriptions are being quoted again here in our text, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 11, or excuse me, 7 through 11. For in quoting here the message of Psalm 95 again, the writer of this epistle wanted his readers to learn from Israel's failures. That's the important thing, to learn from failure, to understand that what God did by disciplining his people for unbelief in the Old Testament should be seen as a warning to those who were tempted to ignore and disobey God within the early days of the New Testament within the early days of the church. For once again, following the deliverance that Jesus brought as one who was far greater than Moses, God's people had an opportunity to cease from their wandering and to enter into spiritual rest in Jesus. But the question was, and in a very real sense the question still is, would they do so? Would they do so? Would they cease from their wandering? Would they enter into the spiritual rest that Jesus provides? Or would they fail to hear? Would they fail to heed God's command to trust in Christ and therefore face the disciplining hand of their God? And so it is appropriate for the writer of this epistle to draw his reader's attention, to draw our attention this morning to what happened in the wilderness and why the majority of God's people never entered into their promised rest. Let us note why here in these words from Psalm 95. And the reason is very, very clear, even for us to see as new covenant believers today. For we notice how our text begins here in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Quoting again from Psalm 95 and verse 7, we read, Therefore, 
the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. And of course, this first appeal, just this segment I read, is significant because it reveals that the Spirit of God was present and the Spirit of God was speaking to God's people even in the Old Testament. And I think that's significant to see. There are some scholars today who minimize the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and suggest that the Holy Spirit was not at work in the hearts of God's people in the way that he is. I, I beg to differ. The Holy Spirit was clearly speaking and present in the Old Testament just as he's speaking today. The work of the Holy Spirit has not changed. Then secondly, it's significant because it reveals that because the Holy Spirit was present and speaking as he was in the days of Moses and as he now is in the new covenant under Christ, we who are under his control and influence are also being called to hear him. So the same Warning: The same command that went out to God's people in the Old Testament is the same warning or command that comes out to us. Hear him. Listen to his voice. He is speaking. Pay attention. And how are we to hear him? We are to hear him as he speaks through God's word. For the word reveals the mind of the spirit, which is the same as the mind of the father and the mind of the son. And in this case... The word expresses God's warning against our own tendency to drift. For as we read earlier back in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, you and I will drift if we fail to pay closer attention to what we have heard, and that being the Spirit of God speaking in Holy Scripture. And so how are we to respond when we hear the testimony of the Spirit well, the writer states here in verses 8 and 9 that we should not harden our hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for years. What actually transpired on the day of testing back in the wilderness serves as an example of how we are not to respond whenever we are confronted with the word of God under the Holy Spirit's influence. How did the nation of Israel respond on that day? Notice, sadly, they responded in two ways. Again, we are to learn from their example. We are to learn from their failures. So let's learn now how they responded improperly in two Here in verse 5, that they hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts, meaning that their hearts were not open. Their hearts were not receptive to God's word. Or in other words, they were not willing to receive the word with meekness. They were not willing to receive the word with meekness, as the writer James spoke of in James chapter 1 and verse 21. Rather, they hardened their hearts, or literally, we could translate this, they closed off their hearts. They closed off their hearts. Rather than giving the word of God entry. Rather than giving the word of God entry. For if they had granted entrance to the word, they would have received understanding. Psalm 119 and verse 130 states, The unfolding or the entrance of your words gives light 
and it imparts understanding to the simple. If they had given entrance to the Word of God, if they had not closed off their hearts to the Word of God, they would have received understanding. Same applies to you and I today. Yet in the case of the people on the day of testing, on that day when they were providentially tested to see whether they would receive God's Word or not, they refused to grant the Word entrance. They refused to accept the authority of God's Word as it had been spoken through Moses. They refused to willingly submit to it. That's what happened. That's the writer's diagnosis. Can this kind of rebellion, a rebellion against the Word of God first and foremost, still transpire among those who claim to be God's people? No doubt it can still transpire. For what would be the writer's point, brethren, in warning these believers here, believers he referred to back in verse 1 as holy brothers, if it were not possible for them to rebel in the same manner. No, it is possible for God's people, for people like you and I, to harden their hearts, to close off their hearts to what the Spirit is saying through the Word. Even when it would be best for them to be obedient. When can this happen? Well, it can happen, first of all, when God's people are unhappy or discontented with their circumstances. When God's people are unhappy or discontented with their circumstances. For no one enjoys a time of extended testing, right? You ever been in a situation like that? Where the testing seems to go on and on and on? Few of us find joy and pleasure in that. No one rejoices in being placed on the backside of the wilderness. Ever felt that you were there? On the backside of the wilderness rather than in a place of ease. And there are times when we can feel like we've been placed on the backside of the wilderness and our providential circumstances seem to be unfair. And if we're not careful, we begin to drift. If we're not careful, we begin to complain, to show signs of discontentedness. And the evidence that we are drifting is that we are less and less receptive to the voice of the Spirit in Scripture. Less and less receptive and more and more resistant inwardly to its admonishments. In fact, it's very possible that we, who would in better times be more open to hearing its promises, can begin to harden our own hearts against this, against the authority of the Word of God. And when this begins to happen, beloved, we are in real danger. That's what the writer is arguing. When this begins to happen, we are in real danger. And by the way, as we go through this this morning, let's not merely follow the narrative. Let's not merely agree with the diagnosis of the writer, but let's examine our own hearts as well. Let's imagine our own hearts going through this process also. When this begins to happen, and it can happen in us, maybe it is happening in us right now, we are in real danger 
Not that we can be stripped of our standing before God in Christ, because we can't be stripped of our standing, or that we could forfeit our inheritance that is reserved in heaven, because we can't lose our inheritance. But we could be in danger of incurring the chastisement or the discipline of God because of our unwillingness to listen. This is an easy illustration for us to understand if we have children. What is our response to our own children if they're consistently unwilling or gradually becoming more and more unwilling to hear what we have to say? Think of your response. Think of the response of God in response to His own people. For if you and I persist in a state of hard-heartedness towards the Word of God, we can easily expect God to respond. We can easily expect that we will be in danger of responding the way that Israel did when they hardened their hearts, when they closed off their hearts to the voice of God, to the Word. Then notice that they also responded in a second way, and that is by provoking God to withdraw from them. By provoking God to withdraw from them. For the writer of this epistle goes on to describe for us here in verses 10 through 12 how God's people in the wilderness went on to provoke Him. It goes on to talk about the grave consequences they incurred by doing so. For we read here beginning in verse 10 where God declares, Therefore, for this reason or for this cause, I was provoked with this generation. And said they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And it is to say, brethren, this is a, a stunning indictment for God to make against his own people. For indeed, they had provoked him. They had murmured and complained against God. Although God had delivered them, as you know, from slavery, he had guided them safely through the wilderness. And yet they stiffened their necks against God, and they refused to hear and to heed the voice of the Spirit. And therefore, God, who reproves him who he loves as a father, reproves the son in whom he delights, according to Proverbs 3.12, reproved his people as well. He denied them the physical rest that they had so desperately sought. Because to give them rest after they resisted the voice and the leading of the Spirit would have been to reward them for their rebellion and their hard-heartedness. And God will not do that. He will not do that. In fact, in keeping with His own word, God decreed long before that His rest would be reserved for those who heard and heeded His word. Despite the difficulties associated with their wilderness wanderings. And so it was their hard-heartedness and unbelief that put them in danger. It was their stubbornness and their refusal to heed the Spirit's voice that provoked their God to withdraw from them His promise of physical rest, which left many of them to die in the plains of the wilderness, having never set foot within the promised land. And again, brethren, these things are written for our admonishment. They are written for us even as New Covenant saints. As a serious and solemn warning. As a warning that we cannot harden our hearts to the Spirit's voice and not pay an awful price 
in doing so. For we cannot permit our inward tendency to drift away spiritually to make us increasingly insensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and not expect that there will be some adverse consequences for doing so. For to become entrenched in hard-heartedness and unbelief is, in the words of our text, to put God to the test. To provoke God. Let us all be assured this morning that our God, although He is loving and patient, will not hesitate to apply the law of spiritual discipline even to us as believers today. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews, or to the Hebrews, will later remind us of this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, where he writes these words, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastens every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom God does not discipline? This is a topic that we don't like to address. That we don't feel comfortable addressing and understandably so. But it is a scriptural topic, a relevant topic. Even for new covenant believers, there is discipline from the hand of God. We could be the objects of that discipline if we fail to heed and obey His Word. And so God will not hesitate to use discipline in our lives to disrupt the drift that has taken place and to put us back on the path of obedience, to take from us the stubbornness and hard-heartedness that we once had and renew within us a sensitivity and receptiveness to the voice of the Spirit. And it could be that what you and that what I am now experiencing in our lives is God's present work of doing this very thing. Is it possible that you could be under God's discipline? Is it possible that God could be using the circumstances that you're facing, that I'm facing, to reprove us? To get us back on the right path? To renew our sensitivity to and openness to the Word of God. How can you and I, by the grace of God, prevent this hard-heartedness from settling in in our lives? Well, I want you to notice in verses 12 through 15 that the writer tells us three things that we must do. Hear me. Three things that we must do by the grace and the enabling of God to keep our hearts open and sensitive to the being of God's Spirit. So, if you listen to anything in this message, I hope you'll listen to this. Because we should all desire to be more open and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? The text gives us the answer. To prevent any further drift in our own lives and in our congregation collectively, these are three things we must do. First, according to our text, in verse 12 in particular, we must guard our own hearts against unbelief. We must guard our own hearts against unbelief. What we read here in this verse, verse 12, take care or be cautious 
Brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. For while our hearts have been renewed by the work of God's regenerating power, our hearts are not entirely insulated from the influence of unbelief. In other words, we have renewed hearts. Thank God that we do through the work of regeneration by the Spirit. But we are not totally insulated from temptation. We're not totally insulated from those sins of the heart that can occur in our own lives. Remaining sin that still resides in us can draw us away, even if it is but for a season of unbelief, if we are not diligent to prevent it. So we must always be alert to the state of our own hearts. We must always be alert to the state of our own hearts. We must constantly be asking ourselves these kinds of questions. Am I being sensitive and open to the voice of the Spirit as He is now speaking to me in Holy Scripture? Is there a slow and gradual hardness and indifference to God that is developing within me? Boy, what a powerful is there a slow and gradual hardening of the heart that is developing within me? Do I see the evidence of a general desire, a genuine desire to hear and obey God's truth? Am I beginning to see subtle signs of an evil and unbelieving heart in my life, which is starting to pull me away? If we see these subtle signs of unbelief creeping in, we need to repent. We need to stop in our tracks and repent. We need to renew our resolve by the grace of God to be on guard against our own inward depravity. And of course, we can only maintain our guard by being faithful to, to the means of grace that God has appointed to the preached word, to the Lord's Supper, to consistent prayer, to the fellowship of God's people. We must be on guard against the subtlety, the subtle assault of unbelief. This, of course, leads us to the second thing that we must do to counter the temptations of an evil and unbelieving heart. We must be committed to the spiritual encouragement of one another. To the spiritual encouragement of one another. Notice what the writer says here in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. We must be encouraging and exhorting one another when? Every day. Every day. As long as it is called today. That none of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For without daily encouragement. The writer suggests here in this verse, all of us can become easy prey to the deceitfulness of sin. How often do we need to be encouraged in this regard? Every day. How often do we need to be reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ to give them words of encouragement at the right time, in due season? All the time, every day. In fact, I know that some individuals within this congregation are attempting to do this. I get email messages, text messages on a regular basis from men who are sending me scripture seeking to encourage me each and every day as the pastor and seeking to encourage others. This is the general principle that is applied here in this particular passage. 
We need that daily encouragement. If you're doing that, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't get hardened and lazy. Keep going. Do it. Do it. All of us can become easy prey to the deceitfulness of sin. For sin can suddenly deceive us into thinking that it's alright to harbor a little unbelief. Or that we don't need to hear the Spirit's voice through the Word on a regular basis. Or the, the adversary may try to convince us that it's okay to neglect your Bible and not to read it consistently. It's okay to skip a day or two or three or a week. Our adversary says. Or sin can deceive us into thinking that we don't need the fellowship of God's people. That we don't need to be with God's people in worship each and every Lord's Day. We can hit and miss. We can come occasionally. The adversary tries to convince us that we can live the Christian life far better on our own. I hear this all the time. It's so much easier, it's so much less complicated if I just try to live the Christian life on my own, Pastor. It's too complicated with other people involved. That's what the devil says. That's what temptation says. And yet in all reality, all of us need the fellowship and the accountability that comes with being fully committed to a local congregation of believers. None of us can win the battle against unbelief alone. And I say that as your pastor as well. I cannot stand against the wiles of the devil by myself. I cannot be a faithful pastor to this congregation standing in my own shoes alone. I need the encouragement of God's people. I need your encouragement. I need your help. Our adversary, the devil, is delighted to see a believer who thinks he is strong enough to stand up and weather things on his own because that believer becomes easy prey. That believer often falls the hardest. That believer who has no Christian brothers and sisters around him, when he begins to wobble, eventually falls. So the second thing we must do to ensure that we are not led astray by hard-heartedness and unbelief is to nurture close relationships with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Relationships of honesty and accountability. A relationship so honest and genuine that you can say openly to your brother and sister in Christ, I'm struggling with unbelief. I have these occasional thoughts that go through my mind where the Bible tells me, or excuse me, Satan tells me that the Bible is not true. Or I have these occasional temptations to want to neglect my Christian duties and to be able to have a brother or sister in Christ to talk about that with, to pray about that with, is absolutely priceless. Where there are strong relationships of mutual encouragement and accountability <coughs> There are fewer opportunities for unbelief to gain ground in a congregation of Christians collectively. And then the third and final thing that we must do according to the writer of Hebrews 3 verses 14 through 15 is to remember what we have in Christ. 
to remember what we have in Christ, which is far more precious and lasting than anything that unbelief can promise us, and we must remain confident in our assurance of it. Notice what the writer says here in verses 14 and 15. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For brethren, what we share in Christ is a treasure that we must never allow unbelief to take from us or to distract us from. For when unbelief distracts us, we can easily lose sight of all that we share in, all that we really enjoy through Jesus Christ. But when we are confident in who we are, remember we talked about that last Sunday as well, knowing who we are, knowing what God is doing, when we are confident in what we share in, we find and maintain the strength we need to press on and to persevere in faith. And so let us learn from the nation of Israel's failure in the wilderness to heed the Spirit's voice. Let us respond instead with meekness and obedience, for while God is faithful to discipline His people, He is far more eager to reward that obedience which comes from the heart. For God is willing to discipline. He's not afraid to discipline. He's far more willing and eager to reward that obedience which comes from the heart. Brethren, may God give us heart-led obedience today. May our hearts overflow with the desire to follow Christ, and to have Him direct us into the land of promise, into the place of rest. In fact, we're going to be talking about rest in Christ in the weeks ahead. May we pray that we know that and fully enjoy that. May God grant us this obedience for the glory of the Father, for the honor of the Son, and for the good of His church. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank You for this text of Scripture. We thank You for this warning about the danger of unbelief. And we would ask that You would give us open and receptive hearts to pay heed to it today. Help us not to push aside this warning this morning as though it only belonged to the saints of the Old Testament. Help us not to ignore this warning simply because we're New Testament saints and we already enjoy such great privileges in Jesus Christ. No, get our attention this morning, Father that these verses apply to us. It would make no sense whatsoever for the writer to the Hebrews to write to his audience, New Covenant Christians, who are the same as we are this morning, these words, if they did not apply. No, they do apply. They do apply. They must be heeded. They must be obeyed. They must be received. They must not be ignored. As the Spirit of God speaks today into the Word, let us not harden our hearts. As the Spirit of God speaks through the Word today, let us not think that we are wiser than He is. 
but let us take heed to what he says. Let us obey him. Let us be on guard against unbelief. Let us encourage one another in the things of God that we might remain steadfast. Let us remember who we are and cherish the things that God has given to us. Father, give us the grace to obey all of these commands today. And if there's somebody here outside of the Lord Jesus Christ who's never come to Him in faith and repentance, may you grant them spiritual life today if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Draw them into your kingdom. Translate them from darkness to the kingdom of light. Father, do this mighty work on your own behalf for your own glory as a show of your own might. Father, help us to realize that you've been speaking today that there is a response expected. It's not the response that is expected in some churches where people get up and go down to the aisle and make some visible, supposed demonstration of their willingness to come. No, you speak to us right where we are, right in our pews. You speak to us directly in the heart. You bid us to obey.